Welcome, everyone, to this, uh, the last of my midweek Lenten podcasts. I've been doing these in lieu of our midweek Lenten services that we had planned. We got in a couple services, uh, and then, of course, we had to cancel everything. I hope everyone's staying safe. Uh, Stay home as much as you can. Uh, Continue to avoid contact. Don't be like those idiots who went out and partied on spring break, and now uh, I think six or seven of them have the virus. Uh, And now they're going to suck up resources that could have gone to someone who got it without doing anything or someone in worse health. So don't be selfish. Uh, Remember Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So I hope you'll also take advantage of the other online opportunities we have to stay connected at Lord of Grace. You can join me on Zoom on, on Mondays and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. to chat. It's just sort of an open time. Just log in and um, come an online hangout. You can join me Wednesdays at 2 p.m. for Bible study uh, for the Sunday coming Sunday's Gospel reading. And of course, this Sunday is Palm Sunday. And don't forget that Sunday services will be broadcast on the Lord of Grace YouTube channel, 10 a.m. So 10 a.m. on the Lord of Grace YouTube channel. Uh, all you have to do to find that is you can go on YouTube. You don't have to have an account to see it. You just type in Lord of Grace Lutheran Church. Make sure you type out all of it or you'll get weird videos, Grace Church this and Lord Grace that. Um, but you want specifically the Lord of Grace YouTube channel. So just click on that and at 10 a.m. the service will uh, appear. And um, so, uh, But to get on with our midweek message, the last of our midweek messages, uh, this Lent I've been walking through the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. And today's I Am comes from chapter 15. And it is, uh, it is I Am the Vine. Uh, Jesus says, I am the vine. So I would recommend everyone get out your Bibles. Uh, and I will read it, but it's a lot easier, I think, for most of us visually to read along with it than to just hear it. So here goes. John 15, 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is our gospel reading. Uh, So, my thoughts for today went right away to the idea of pruning. Jesus has a bunch of these passages in the gospel where he talks about cutting back and cutting out, uh, reducing the number of people. It's almost like he doesn't want his ministry to grow. It's kind of 
unthinkable in a modern mainline American Protestant church to deliberately do things to make it harder for people to join or to cut people out or scare them away. You know, we're the welcomingest of the welcoming, which is a good thing. I, I am for welcoming, uh, but as anyone who's ever worked with people can tell you, you can welcome everyone, but some people you do have to ask to leave. For example, say a church had a ministry with the homeless and uh, people lived in the streets and shelters, either way, uh, they started coming to worship. And some longtime member comes up and says he and his wife just can't support this because they don't feel safe around those people. And pastor, can't you just have a special service or something for them somewhere else uh, where it doesn't scare away all the families? And I know a few good givers we're talking about going over to the new Synergy Vision Alive Radical Revolution hip megachurch. Maybe you should consider telling these people to worship somewhere else. So what do you do? I mean, this is not a win-win situation. You drive out the homeless or you lose your good givers. You can try something in between to mitigate and talk it through and dialogue, and, and I certainly would do that. But a lot of pastors would get tied in knots about this and try to figure out how much homeless outreach they can do as long as it doesn't affect key donors or power players. Maybe suggest a satellite location or an evening worship time. Why can't you guys just have a special service at night when, when the kids aren't around or anybody else? Uh, or just, why don't you just refer them to another church? You know, not, not every church is set up for this kind of ministry. Maybe they'd be happier over at whatever other church. But all those solutions assume that there's a hierarchy of value, that some people are more important to keep than others. Why must the homeless people find another venue or time? Why not the givers? Why can't they be told to have a special... Uh, uh, crotchety old rich people service at night. And maybe, you know, of course we know the answer. The answer is money. But why not then try to talk to the people who are nervous? Why not sit down and see how scared they really are, what they really think is going to happen? It could be that the things they're worried about aren't even true. Maybe none of the families with kids are scared, and they're not threatening to leave, and it's just a assumption or a you know, a ploy to try to put some leverage behind the statement. But what does it say about someone's understanding of the kingdom of God that they don't want certain people in the church because of their social class? I mean, really, you think Jesus got a shower every night? I don't want to ask this. I mean, you, you think he was well-groomed? Think he had clean clothes and looked respectable in social circles? The guy traveled around in the desert and in the heat and he lived off of the generosity of others, and he slept outside a lot, and he spent a lot of time fishing, he would have looked and smelled horrible, probably, by modern grooming standards, he and his disciples. So then we decide, yeah, we'll welcome everyone until it smells bad. I'm like, well, maybe you need to go back and read your Bible. I've heard stories of pastors who've taken 
these kind of bold stances against prejudice in their churches. And it doesn't always end well from a numbers perspective. Holding the line often leads to less bodies and bucks. I remember hearing about the Episcopal Cathedral in Memphis. I was there for a conference several years back. Uh, in 1969 or 68, after Reverend King got shot, a whole mess of local pastors and church leaders got together and they staged this walk. And at the end of this walk, they wanted a place to gather. And so the priest at the cathedral uh, welcomed them in, said, you can use our big building for your civil rights planning and your rally. And a member there, a guy who had been a longtime member there who was there in the 60s, he told me uh, that the place emptied. He said half the people left. And the place never recovered, at least not number-wise. So what happens? Sometimes you just have to look and say, you know, if you can't give up your, insert anti-Christian attitude or belief here, then maybe this church isn't for you. If you hate homeless people, maybe I can't help you. If you're against civil rights, maybe I can't help you. If you are being mean and gossiping or plotting power plays in the church, maybe you're the one who needs to go. But we all know you will pay a price. The people who, those people who go, they have money and friends. It's never just one. But at some point, you have to prune to regrow. So this is our text for today. Pruning grapevines. Now, I had to do a little research on this. I didn't grow up uh, growing grapes uh, commercial vineyards, I found out, they don't just grow the grapes on the stakes and the cables strung between them. They don't just plant them in the ground, put a little water on it, and wait for the grapes to pop out. In fact, they very carefully prune them back to a certain shape and size. And when they do, they get better grapes. A commercial grapevine is really a very tortured plant. It's twisted and it's tied and it's clipped here and there. It's not natural looking at all, but it produces great fruit. So Jesus says that he is the true vine and the father is the vine grower. And the father prunes every branch that does not bear fruit. So then you say, uh, what or who are the branches? What's getting cut off? Like a lot of Jesus' sayings, they're not intended to be literal or have one exact forever and always meaning. I really think Jesus wants us to wrestle with the image, to struggle with it, to apply it to different times and places. But I see in the branches, I see in the branches, Jesus' disciples and his followers. Some bear fruit and some don't. Some produce results and some don't. Some are on fire for the kingdom of God and others are just around for curiosity or the free food, or because their friends are. Some love Jesus, and some are waiting to see if he'll deliver for them. And Jesus can't take everyone with him. His time is limited. His money is really limited. He has to stick with the people, the branches, that are in this and willing to do the work and make the sacrifices. And that's hard. I'll bet if Jesus would have wanted to, he could have avoided the more controversial things he said and probably had a lot more followers. Don't we all want followers these days? You know, he didn't have to say that 
the rich can't enter the kingdom of heaven or that you had to eat and drink his body and blood to be a part of him, which he does say in John 10. He didn't have to talk about, you know, you'll get fields of persecution from his disciples. He could have just told them it might be hard, but downplay the getting killed part. But that would have meant that he had to spend a lot of time and energy on people who weren't really with him. So he had to let him go. There's, there's not a word in this passage about sending anyone to hell. It's interesting when you talk about letting people go and pruning back, that that's, there's so many, so many preachers that immediately go there. And you know how I'm always wanting to us to insist that we not put words into the text that are not there. And in this particular passage, there's no mention of uh, hell. Not, not even in a euphemism. But there's always this interpretation of this that has come up uh, where someone says, well, the branches, the branches that are pruned off, the branches that are cut off, uh, they're the non-believers and they will be burned. And it does say that those who don't abide in Jesus will be like branches gathered up and burned. But, so, okay, so it's an image to begin with. But then, all right, let's, let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Who is doing the burning? Is God lighting the torch? Is it Pontius Pilate or Nero or the Roman Empire? Is it forever or just a while? Does it go on and on and on? Or is it like a real fire? You burn up and then that's it. You're gone. And you end up with all these questions and so few answers. Here's how I look at it. The world Jesus ta is talking about is a rough place and things like rebellion against Rome and the attendant uh, retaliation against the rebellion by Rome, those are always threats that Jesus and his disciples and the people in Jesus' time lived with. Lots of people were talking about it. So getting burned if you weren't on board with Jesus was a real potential risk. Uh, and it turns out that's actually what did happen. Forty years after Jesus, the Romans sacked Jerusalem and they lit it on fire. Uh, and a lot of people died. I also think Jesus is an apocalyptic prophet. He's one who sees the end time coming, however long ahead that is. And he says you won't know when that's going to happen. But he's thinking about the end time. And in his prophecies, he talks about wars and fires and uh, those who follow him being spared that. They aren't burned, in other words. But whatever it means, the key for us is that it's okay to not spend your energies as a church pandering to the prejudices and power plays and intolerances of a few. Because in the end, they will bring you down. You can welcome all but everyone has to be loving and Christ-like to their best of the ability. Everybody has to be loving and respectful of others and supportive of the church and supportive of what we're doing. And when you run around calling the homeless those people, it's making them some sort of other that isn't a part of God's family. And then I'm going to say, you're the problem, not them. And yes, you know, the process can be hard. More than one church has had to cut back staff or programs or, or buildings. 
to stay on the course of Jesus' mission. Pruning, like I said, is not a peaceful act. It's hard and painful. But because the vine is only using its water and energy on the branches that produce fruit, it produces way more. So it's okay to let things go. And now that we're all sitting locked up in our minimal contact, uh, stuck in our homes, or for the few of us who sit in offices like I do in, in, in a big empty building, you know, maybe now's a good time to do some reflection and some reevaluation and take some inventory of your life when you're not so busy and you're stuck in the house week after week. What a, you know, and ask yourself, what are the things in my life that produce spiritual fruit? What things do I do that glorify God? What things make a better world? What things am I doing that I don't need to be doing, but I've kind of always been doing them anyway, and I spend energy on them, and they don't really get me any results. And now that I'm sitting here at home, I can realize, yo, yeah, I didn't do that, and nothing bad happened. I pruned it, pruned it out of my life. Because as Jesus says, my Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Amen.